Welcome to this week's episode of Voices in Hyperspace. I am the legendary Black Lion. And this week we are looking at uh, Babylon 5, Season 1, Episode 4, entitled Infection. This was an interesting episode. What were uh, some of your initial ideas, everyone? What were your initial thoughts? I was very um, pleased with this episode I was able to, it was able to hold my attention fully from start to end up until this point. It really felt like there was a lot of information thrown in the episodes, you know, introducing people and their backgrounds and things. But I feel like episode four kind of settled a bit. It's like, okay, you should know who Sinclair is, et cetera, et cetera. So now let's start, you know, getting into the different issues that are happening as it relates to Babylon 5. And so I liked this episode very much. There were a couple things I was thrown off by, but probably because I was used to the sequence that they were doing. There was a subject that was really important that they brought up, but all the way they brought up seemed like it was in contrast to the subject that it could have been about um, instead of saying subjects, I could just say what it was. But the yeah. argument between the doctor and the professor was about the politics of them finding this artifact. Instead of trying to see each other's point of view, they were just steadfast in, but I don't like this part of it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it, and the doctor saying, like, you are a good researcher. Why? find artifacts from other cultures why not make up your own studies it seems like your your dude is a shortcut and he's like well yeah it's not like he disagreed is it it was like i'm smarter you need somebody that smart in order to analyze artifacts from other cultures especially other planets it's necessary there is the scary part of what politics is going to do with it and i think that was like where they were going with it before they even got there it it was yeah it's like okay you want money for it like you should understand that but finding artifacts isn't like something to shame someone for getting money for i get i guess from my perspective or from history's perspective it's not like the people are still alive we know that they've been dead for thousands of years it's not like you're stealing from them i just feel like you are when when the ending came and he was, you know, trying to bribe his way out of trouble. Like you knew what you were doing was wrong in the first place. And the way you went about it was really like awful. The random security officer at customs that has lost his life over what your research, this, you know, your search for, biologic technologies for weapons that translates into what profit there was never any sense that there was any real for the love of science behind his actions or motives right uh the doctor being suspicious of it before he knew that there was like foul play and yeah. he, he already assumed that they went through customs like they were supposed to even if they had done everything right without killing people, he would have been totally pissed off with the fact that they're trying to make money off of something they didn't make. Yeah, the doctor, he was, he had for the love of science, but he was being manipulated by that other guy. Yeah, so Dr. Frank, his his point of view, yeah, it was, it seemed like more of, he wanted Dr. Hendricks to be more, you know, 
ex- show that he's a brilliant uh, archaeologist, that he's a brilliant researcher, and not take shortcuts. It seemed like, because Dr. Franklin said he doesn't like the idea of private corporations funding these uh, expeditions and then just, you know, looting planets of their their artifacts. Now, in the show, we don't have much to really go on as far as like, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? But if we make assumptions that their their politics and their economics are similar to the real world, then we could take a look at this like the like the British Museum, which basically looted artifacts from all over the world and from countries that still exist to this day and are asking them, hey, give us back, give us back our stuff. Um, and they're like, no, we're going to hold it into a museum and we're going to profit off of it. And we're going to call ourselves geniuses because we covered these artifacts, you know. And assume that, oh, you don't have the means in order to take care of your things. So... Yeah. In in a sci-fi point of view, if the um, people they were taken from were still there who needed that, maybe not even needed, it could have been a piece of artwork. Like if they were still there using it, but the fact that they've been dead for a thousand years and killed themselves. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, like ancient dead civilizations. They're not still there. Their ancestors aren't there. There isn't already someone there protecting it. It's kind of that seems more like loot. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying. It's like there's no one, there's no one yeah, to be like, hey, don't do culture. that. Yeah, but yeah, also, I agree oh, with ahead. that. Oh, I definitely agree with that. That there's nobody there to file the charges for the crime that is being committed. But you can't, you don't discover stuff like it already <laughs> exists. <laughs> And so when you find something, it needs to, like, be for, like, the good of the many. Like, whatever collective or, you know, alien species you're a part of, why would you go take something from another species and then bring it back to your people and charge them for it like you did something? You didn't. Like, you... You found a bag of money on the ground and <laughs> now you're like charge somebody else for it. Like you didn't do the the work. Like it may have been work in order to go to like this really difficult planet with who knows what kind of atmosphere and retrieve the thing. But mm, I don't know. I just think I'm too anti-capitalist to think that it's ever a good idea for people to be profiting off of that's fine. Stuff that's monetarily. Fine. The the show is the show is setting this up because it's having that debate in the show and we'll come back to it because there are a lot of things that are happening that helps us reveal, like helps us, helps guide us to the reveal of what this artifact is and what it does. A couple of notes that I took and I don't think any of you said anything, even when we were preparing for the pre-show, none of the non-human main characters are in this episode at all. No Jakar, no Lando, no Veer, no Lin, no none of the non-human main characters. It's all humans. Very human-centric show. And I think that's on purpose because we want to center a very human ideal that is being uh, put on display. And 
I thought that that was really interesting. Like there are some aliens. Has she been on any previous episodes? Who? The reporter that got kicked off the bridge. I don't remember her. Nope. She's, she's new. She's new. She's, she's like the, she's the first, what is it? ISN reporter that's on Babylon 5, which is funny because they, this is, I guess this is also a statement about media. She comes on and she's annoying. Well, she's not annoying Garibaldi. Garibaldi is annoying her. The showrunners put Garibaldi in another situation where he is seemingly flirting with a blonde, but he's also being a jerk to her. And kind of her her thread is not really terribly interesting or important. She's just kind of like, oh, there's a story of this thing happening on the on the on the station. We need to make that news. Oh, there's all this information about you, Garibaldi. We should make that news. Hey, there's all this. You seem to be doing these things, Commander Sinclair. We should make that <laughs> news. But yes, I don't think she shows up again either. She was a bit aggressive. Yeah. I couldn't tell if she was like annoyed that she had this interview with Sinclair or if she was annoyed that the Babylon 5 existed because the way she was talking about people making bets that Babylon 5 would not be around after however long, I was kind of confused. Like, what is her position? She is like a point of view character that catches us up on kind of like the, I guess, not the consensus, but like what Earth thinks of Babylon 5. Would not be able to tell you that that um, station was online for only one year. It looks like it's been up there in space for a while, especially with all the poor people that keep getting stuck on the station, right? Right. I do think it's funny that in, what is it, 22, whatever, the 2200 uh, still have Lloyds of London taking bets and stuff. What is Lloyds of London? They're like, they're like, you know, they're like, what, bookies, book brokers? They take bets, kind of like those gambling sites, um, which now everybody, ha- what is it called? Man, you know, all those different gambling sites, but it's where you place bets on things. And they they take bets on just about anything. Like, it's, it's wild. People people will bet anything. Like, who's going to win the presidency, by how many votes, how long are they, you know, how long are they going to stay in office? Are they going to resign? You know, you know, random stuff like that. Now, yeah, did, oh, go ahead. And her character seems like a, a trope when it comes to a lot of... Um, shows that have military and civilian mixture or when it comes to whatever the military is doing and the civilians want to know about it or politics are getting involved they always have that pushy little news reporter yeah character that's like i'm making demands of you when you really shouldn't be here this is restricted like only certain personnel need the clearance for it and you think you're going to demand to come in here because first amendment right right yeah she's like a nuisance and i guess it's perfect to put her to pair her with garibaldi because he's a nuisance as well but yeah you're right she's kind of she's like the intrepid reporter that's gonna dig and find the truth right and and really it just seems like she's trying to find anything to be a story and then she finds it which is there's someone on the station uh, killing people. So the way people were dying was annoying for me. And I think this is, and correct me if I'm wrong, babe, but in the time in which this show was created, 
you had your star cast and none of them ever like sustained serious injury or died. But like in newer shows, anybody <laughs> can get it. And so for the um who was it? The doctor? I think he got injured first and yeah. he like had a bruise on his chest. And yeah. then the next person, the energy went up twenty percent and they got completely they got, evaporated. Like, <laughs> yeah. but then there were like three or four more attacks. I don't know, that might be too many, but there was more attacks. And then when the captain goes down um, and he gets hit, like, I guess he had on some body armor or something that protected him, but he sustained a hit and got punched in the face by the thing, but he's still alive. He's superhuman. Yeah, Nita said that. Say that again, Mel. He got protected by plot armor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Plot armor. It's impenetrable. Next time somebody will be like, wow, how are you surviving all of the world and things, Nita? Plot armor. I'm the hero of my life. I can't die. I have to be here. This is a canon event. Yeah, so that kind of leads us into talk about what the infection is. And there is a lot of symbolism. There's some some allusions to things, but then there are points where they just straight out say it, which is essentially it's... um, if if I were to use the 90s terms or even today's terms, they're like, they're going to say totalitarianism racism but essentially it's fascism it's fascism and it's interesting because the the one guy that you see murder someone on screen first he gets infected immediately and you know they're they're talking about during each of the attacks there are these power surges and i think that's a really important part of it because the first power surge, he wounds somebody. You know, he wounds Dr. Franklin. Dr. Franklin is like, you know, doing his thing where he's trying to get up, leave the hospital bed early. And they're like, hey, you know, you should probably take it easy. He's like, oh, I'm a doctor. I know what I'm doing. And then he gets dizzy and he's all like, okay, maybe you're right. But the next attack, like Sunday said, they evaporate these people. When you see their silhouette on the, on the, on the walls. To me, that is saying like, okay, this dangerous ideology only grows its power the more it expresses and uses its power. And its power is violent. And each time it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And I thought that was like a a very interesting way to depict that. Yeah. Wow. That was deep. That was the metaphor explains why the power went up. So much, even though the 20, it doesn't count for that. That's not 20% more power, obviously. Yeah. But <laughs> but if you use it as a metaphor, and maybe they only read 20% more from the, the energy output, like the, res, the residual output was what they got 20% from, whereas the, the actual blast was more con- condensed to where the mm. attack uh, was supposed to go, which also could be a metaphor because mm. a lot of people around those type of things don't realize what type of, app- they don't really fully see the, the, the results of what happens until they yeah. get face with it. So I think that just adds to the metaphor, to being a metaphor. You see that, I can't remember his name, but the space Nazi, he's all like getting more armor, more more parts. Whenever the station security tries to fight him with conventional means, which is basically their, uh, their violence, it has no effect. Like with this, I kind of get what they're trying to say. You can't solve violence with violence, but I think it also 
is saying like with with fascism and racism being you know fighting that with violence only emboldens it which it you know builds stronger skin stronger armor and comes back more deadly like you can't just ooh, okay i'm gonna say this on the podcast but i'm gonna say it this way um when you're playing your first pl- first person shooters you can't just kill nazis you have to destroy the ideology as well mm-hmm. there on, babe. i'm sorry nita you're <laughs> gonna say something no i am just agreeing yes so i really like that point that you're making damian with a lot of the what are the black people gonna do to you know, blah, 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 fill in the blank, get out of the situation that we're in. There's just this constant, like we have to have an army in order to do something. And it's just like, why can't we think outside of the box to some other alternatives and strategies? But then as soon as I say that out of my own mouth, the other side of my brain is like, we've tried those things, but the people with the ever-growing violence just keep coming. So it's really difficult to say that it's an easy answer but that there needs to be a balance like the weapon that you're going to use to attack has to be effective and then you also have got to be prepared for the nonviolent approach there is not not every person that is inside of the fascist group that you know builds it up to be as strong as it is is unreachable we cannot just think that complete elimination like you're saying about the the first person shooter game is going to be the answer because there are children that love adults that are, you know, going in this harmful direction that could end up being like a killmonger. Like you go and you kill his dad, whether his dad was right or wrong, that's his dad. And now you're just causing a new enemy. It also reminds me of X-Men with the Sentinels. Oh, yeah. Eventually, they just wipe off all humanity because everyone is a mutant. <laughs> yeah. Yo, you are... Okay, I'm glad you pointed that out because that that really is... That's another big theme in this. Like, So, you know, we're, we're jumping around the episode, but that's cool. But it's revealed that the artifact that's building this armor around this guy is basically... Um, it's a weapon of war, and it was programmed to. It's, what is it? What were the aliens called? I wrote it down. Akari. Akari. Akarians. Akari. But yeah, it was supposed to. They their their orders were to kill um, anyone that wasn't pure Akari. And this is another really good like topic that they are throwing in throwing into this gumbo of an episode. Right? There are no like. Just like you were pointing out with the X-Men, um, there are no there are no pure Akari. There are no humans races that are pure one thing or pure another. Like the parallels, and they even they even point this out in the episode, is basically World War II and the whole thing with about Aryans. Um it was such a confused like they start out with this whole idea. Okay, Akarian people. Good, thank you. They 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 point out they point out that there is no such thing as a pure race. There's no pure, pure master race. And if you study, if you do study and research World War II, every like we get in our in our school systems, we kind of get like a a very whitewashed overview of what was going on. And we were like, and we only hear that the Nazis didn't like the Jews, and you had to be pure. Aryan for them to like you this and that but 
if you read if you research more of the ideologies and the way that they wanted to divide people, you find out that there were certain Germans who were not Jewish that they were like, well, these are the lesser Germans and these are the more superior Germans. So they were trying to put a hierarchy on everything. And it ultimately would have led to their own self-destruction anyway. I mean, it did, but that whole ideology is it, it has nothing it's, it has a expiration date it's gonna it's gonna collapse in on itself because there is no such thing as pure I thought it was interesting that those so in the beginning they were like offing the the people who didn't follow this blueprint or the whatever was in the program and then once they got rid of all of those if I if I remember correctly then they started to be root scrutinizing they, yeah like okay let's be even more exact than before until there were essentially none left yeah and i thought it was interesting like why didn't you just get rid of everybody in the beginning like why why did you wait to be more exact about what pure was because they're not kalon oh my god oh, okay so if anyone doesn't know um sunday is referencing a completely different show. The Orville, the K-Line, they're the the, uh, the cyborgs. So I do recommend watching uh, the Orville. It's a decent show. I like it, actually. I like it a lot. But we're not talking about that. Yeah, because uh, the, the ionic weapon was supposed to protect them from all of their invasions. He said they got invaded a lot, apparently, and they needed help. This, How did they program it to protect the people? They did it very loosely, and I guess the argument was supposed to be that corporations and politics defined what was on their race, which everyone didn't perfectly fit into, not mm-hmm. even the people who created it. So they end up wiping themselves out by trying to define themselves as something that they weren't, so trying to force people into because basically, if you really feel I want to go into like politics defining people. It's a manipulative tactic to try to make people be what they need them to be. Yep. And they, by the by the the science the sci-fi personification of that is a weapon that just destroys everything because nothing is going to really fit fit into that. I also think it's interesting you point out like they built this weapon to protect them from invasions, and I just can't help but think about how um, in our country right now there are groups of people who who are talking about the country is being invaded by these people. They're, they're illegally crossing the border and it may, you know, I'm wondering if we are supposed to also make that connection. Like, were they really being invaded? Is this a different ethnic group that they didn't, that they saw as undesirables and they came into conflict with, you know, and then they decided they were going to build weapons that will seek them out and wipe them out. Which, because yeah, they could. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, which, I mean, it's like a it's a sci fi trope. Like uh, even in the Avengers, when Captain America, Ultron. Winter Ultron. Soldier, Ultron, where they you know was it Project Insight, where they were just going to have those helicarriers just shoot people at random. Well, not at random, but they were going to shoot specific people who were quote unquote troublemakers. 
You know, I went straight to Ultron. Like, dude, we're just gonna wipe up the whole planet because all y'all messing up. But that's the same thing, right? And the same thing, like yeah. you say, with the Sentinels is like these these things get out of hand when you're like, oh, we're trying to preserve things. This is this is what conservatism does. It makes everyone an enemy, and when when you want to protect yourself, when you when you're when you're in power. You create weapons to protect yourself. Everyone else looks like an enemy. So there was a couple yeah, of... Really, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Sunday. I was just going to say how I really did love this episode and all of the connections that it's making. It really did a fantastic job of tackling a really difficult subject and all of the, I guess, innuendos. I'm sorry, I don't have the right word for that. But the things that we were pointing out is just so super cool that... I have to agree with Nita's original sentiment, even though last week's episode is still like technically my favorite. I really liked it, but this one was so good. And I guess you guys are right. It's just going to snowball and get better and better. So this is wonderful. Yeah. Well, when I was, I was researching the episode, like this really isn't that good of an episode of Babylon five. This is kind of like a character development, character development episode. And so, and it and it does come across more of like following the formula of a Star Trek episode, you know, from beginning to end. And then, you know, we get the deep moral question, you know, right at the end. But, you know, it is it's enjoyable because like while what is on screen, you know, can come across as campy, it is actually a lot of really good discussion. It's doing what sci-fi is supposed to do. Uh, which is, you know, facilitate conversation, make you ask questions, make you think about humanity. There were a couple of things that I wanted to highlight that just also stuck stood out to me. I couldn't help but think of ancient aliens. Uh, they these these uh, archaeologists find these artifacts, and so it's okay. It's ancient aliens, but they think that they're going to benefit from the technology of the ancient aliens. And they're, you know, it's biomechanical, like, oh, this is great. This is going to be a wonderful discovery. What these ancient people found out, we can use that to better humanity, you know. So I couldn't, and it made me think of that dude with the weird hair that they're always interviewing. The other um, thing, the sorry. The things the pyramids were made by aliens. Yeah. The, the other thing is the, I don't know if this is a trope, but it is something that happens basically in mummy movies. Basically, you open up the tomb, you get a curse. And that's what happened to this guy. And it made me too, because people really believed in, you know, these, these, these European archaeologists really believed in these curses or maybe not the archaeologists, but people would spread rumors about these curses after opening the tombs. Like it's cursed. It's an ancient curse. And the ancient curse is this infection that got the, that turned this guy into a monster. And it also makes, it makes me think like white people are, afraid to come in contact with ancient artifacts or to engage with the ancients in a in a in a good faith manner because they think it would change them or in some in some cases they think it'll change them in a good way like i've been learning that when uh, people would open up the mummies the mummies they would like take parts of them and eat them because they would thought they thought they would get their powers so all of that stuff was yeah. flooding into my, my mind when I was watching this episode. When that happened, it made me think of like the the ignorance of like 
how biology and stuff works. So if you have something sealed and whatever the atmosphere was like at the time of the sealing, when you open it and now you take a breath in, your immune system has never dealt with whatever that is. And now you've been exposed to something like completely brand new to your system. You fall over and die and people are just like, oh, it's a curse. Well, no, it's just a virus or a bacteria or some shit that you ain't ever came encountered before. <laughs> and that's why you should leave that shit alone. That part. Like, for real, they wrapped. We'll get back to that episode in a moment. But they, you know, they wrapped their dead up for specific reasons. And that that, that doesn't mean go go find go find their bodies and expose them to the air again. Like Babe, it's Christmas. You know, they wrap those presents and set them under the tomb for the Oh my god. I think like I was a little I, I will I'm a little biased with the whole like ancient civilizations. Like one, taking it for profit can go too far. But if they were to actually want to appreciate and understand it, that would be great. Like I, I'm all for like going to learn from them and understanding it. I, if we want to compare Star Trek, Picard wanted to learn about the ancient civilizations that he learned about, that he explored and read about, versus it all being about money. And yeah. maybe he just knew his old professor, like, you're just chasing money. Like, maybe he felt that icky about it because he knew his personality but there was no background to tell us that it's like right. hey what's up like oh you're right. here for me aren't you like there was nothing to set that up at all <laughs> like, so it's like it's like that person that drops in town and you're like look I ain't got no money to bar- let you borrow <laughs> I'm sorry and I can't take you nowhere I ain't got no gift. but you're right so Star Trek you, like re- frequently mentions the Iconians which is an ancient civilization that uh, certain folks in the Federation are trying to understand more about. I think uh, you do get a, you do hear about them in the next generation. Of course, Picard is aware of them, and I think also you hear about them in Voyager because they were able to instantaneously travel through the galaxy, and they were trying to figure out how that technology works. And I don't think they ever figured it out. But yeah, you you get a sense like there are in sci-fi there are kind of two. Two sides of the same coin. You have people who are exploring and it is for the love of science and discovery and understanding more of the universe that you inhabit. And then you have the other side where it's it's for the excitement, for the adventure. Because when um, Dr. Hendricks came in, he didn't say like, oh, I've made a wonderful discovery and this is going to change our understanding of the universe. He goes, he goes, Dr. Franklin, I am offering you adventure. He not nothing about research, nothing about discovery. He's 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 giving him a sales pitch. It reminded me of those icky YouTube commercials where they're selling like a sales seminar or something like that. Or, you know, it's it's one of those guys that are selling some sort of some some sort of get Crypto. rich. Yeah. <laughs> Like you're you're about to head off on the adventure of a lifetime, and then <laughs> the and then the answer up. is money. So so yeah, I mean that's that's a good that's that a good timeshare. Oh god, a timeshare in Babylon Five. I don't know that that sounds like a straight up ripoff. 
Mm-hmm. End up in brown level. It probably some. You know what? That's probably how the people get down there too. Somebody, somebody on gray level has like a whole set of Airbnbs, oh, and nobody can rent them. So there was a couple of other things going on in the episode too. And this was a minor arc, but it it does, like I said, it does give you a little bit more uh, character development. So at the beginning of the episode, as the journalist is pestering Garibaldi, she's asking where is, um, no, I'm sorry. I got that backwards. So Sinclair, he's going out on, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, it was the, 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 the journalist was asking where was Sinclair. And he's out serving like some ships that were being attacked. And she was like, isn't that a little dangerous for the commander to do? And Garibaldi's like, hey, you know, he likes to take these things head on. And she's like, he sounds like he likes to put himself in danger. And they address this again in the episode near the end where Garibaldi just sits sits and he's being frank with Sinclair. He's like, look, I know we were both in the war. You know, I wasn't on the line, but I know you were. But a lot of guys come back came back different. And he's basically explaining PTSD. And he's 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 trying to figure out like, hey Commander, are you experiencing some PTSD? And this this is this why you're putting yourself in constant danger? And Sinclair's like, I don't know. There is like, I'm not gonna spoil anything. There is a reason that Sinclair is like this. But look back at the last few episodes. That's exactly his, he's he's formed a habit of being like, I'm going to head off this search team. I'm going to head off this raid team. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to grapple hook this spaceship that's falling to pieces and flying towards <laughs> the station. You know, he's just kind of putting himself in, in, in harm's way left and right. And it's, it's a result of his time in the war. Yeah, it's kind of nice the way he went to him about it. Yeah. It kind of parallels a conversation in Star Trek where I forgot it, it happened a couple of times where Spock is telling Kirk that it's like we can't lose you <laughs> Stop doing this. not exactly but and then it happened in Next Generation where they're explaining to Picard like why he can't go on this <laughs> expedition he's like I know why but I'm going we gotta stop letting our senior officers leave and go on these dangerous missions like we can't lose yeah. all of you at the same time who's gonna fly the ship <laughs> like he literally said because of james it's now a rule that you can't be. but i think he was like oh, what who said that i couldn't go like, right we just named the regulation but sinclair's uh sinclair's habits are kind of also explaining that war changes people when you are trained to be a killer machine i don't care how diplomatic you are later i don't care how kind of and gentle of a person is when you become a part of that war machine that's your function. You witness a lot of death as well. When people come in contact with those conditions, they are changed as people, as human beings. There are sometimes people who don't feel like they're human anymore. You know, a part of them is lost. And it, you know, it is traumatic. That's what, you know, PTSD. But it's something that I think the character Sinclair, he's very adamant about avoiding because he, it, he experienced a war that almost wiped out humans. And he's trying at all costs to avoid getting into conflict, which then is one reason why he's always flying headfirst into an alien that can pick him up and throw him across the room. 
but and, and getting shot at and, and all of that because he believes he has to do whatever it takes to make sure that they don't enter into a war, which is probably why they chose him uh, commander of Babylon 5 in the first place. Yeah, that's true. All right. Are there any other observations you all made? No, I think that here's it right up. Nita, are you present, love? Yeah, I thought that she might have something to say on the side of the PTSD part, but that's okay. This was great. Love, thank you. Okay. There is one last thing, a slightly sciencey thing that I don't know can be answered with a metaphor, but at the end, when he takes off the, the artifact that suggests like magic turns back into a sweaty human, like it obviously took you time to transform how you just take it off and all of your DNA changes back to a human. No. So that's <laughs> I was really liking the special effects makeup. I thought his transformation was very well done. That's what I'll say. Yeah, the part that was an actual transformation. So that definitely is like a nine well, I would say nineties, but just a sci-fi thing for television. Where it's like the thing that it changed your DNA and then it's like you killed the the host, the program or whatever, and then you just suddenly changed back. I think the only show that kind of sort of addressed it better was Star Trek. When Picard was kidnapped by the Borg and turned into Locutus, he had to, you know, he had bandages on his face and stuff because they had to remove cybernetic parts. Which it does make me think, like, how much of him was made into a cyborg? You know, they didn't just put. Well, what about Tuvix? Tuvix, who's actually kind of the same. Who? Yeah. Did they like instantly went back? Yeah. Or did they? No. Yeah. They he they basically figured out like, oh, we can rip these two people back apart. So let's <laughs> let's go ahead and put them back into the transporter and do that. There's there's a whole movement. <laughs> there's a whole movement online. That says Janeway was wrong. That you know, if you want to, you want to start a firestorm. Go ahead and talk about that some more. I don't remember it. Yeah, you don't remember Tuvix. That was such a. It's in Voyager, and it's yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we can talk about that on another episode. That's right. But y'all, y'all talking about how that whole part of this episode was resolved. So Sinclair, when he realizes like the weapons aren't hurting it, he's a he's basically. He comes up with the idea that he's going to make him mad. He he thinks that he can address the like the personality matrix that is running the cyborg Nazi space Nazi, and he basically angers it by you know by challenging the logic of its programming. Which like you were supposed to be killing pure, you're supposed to protect pure Ikarans, but there are no pure Ikarans. Like you're not even Ikar, and so it's like in conflict with his own programming it's really it's really cool and it's a clever way to say that these ideologies are incoherent like and and think of any of them so we're 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 referencing nazis and fascism but all of these ideologies that are repressive it makes me think of kind of like what what are like like the the building blocks of white supremacy as well like all of them are incoherent and they will ultimately turn in on themselves and collapse because like, yeah, there's no, there's no pure white race. There's no, there's no, like really race is a social construct. There is no, 
real race is just we're humans that come in different varieties. A certain group of humans decided that they were the best and then everybody else was beneath them. And that's incoherent because within their own their own ethnic groups and cultural groups, they they develop different hierarchies and supremacy groups. And ultimately it you know it le- it led to a lot of violence and is leading to a lot of violence. And it's just like, you know, if we just didn't think that we were better than everybody else, we'd probably be okay. Yeah, that is a good point that you bring up, babe. I'm thinking about when <clears throat> he was aggravating him by asking him those, you know, questions like, well, why are you doing this? And don't you understand, like, how this is a conflict, like, of your original mission when he finally got him to the point where, excuse <laughs> me, <laughs> where the alien is just like, oh, my original programming is no longer serving me. What am I supposed to do? He got really frustrated. And Nita's daughter and I, and if Nita says that I can't tell stories about our conversations later, we can just delete this out. So sorry in advance for not asking permission. But I had a conversation with her daughter once about a little parable over the son and a man, whether the man chose to take his jacket off or if the sun got too hot and made him take his jacket off. And when uh, I just asked her daughter so many different questions to get her to understand that the son coerced him to take his jacket off that he didn't want to, got really frustrated. And then she said, my hair hurts. I, I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> and it was very interesting to me to like see such a, a young person realize that what they think and believe, there's a conflict there. And now they have to change their mind. And the physical pain that came over her by having to change her mind, it was it was a really incredible thing to experience. And it's clearly a human thing because they depicted it very well in the show. And I just think that that is really interesting. It's, I'm, I'm complete. Yeah, that's a good point. If you ever watch some of these like online debates or some of these confrontations people will have, like either it's especially like political rallies or whatnot, where they'll question like Trump supporters or conservatives in general about some of their ideas, and then they're confronted with a question that they just aren't able to answer because if they do answer it, it will go against the the ideals that they so-called stand for. And I could, you know, I can imagine like it is frustrating and it can be traumatic to have your ideals challenged to the point that you have to spend time to study, to research, to consider and change your mind. Like that's not an easy thing to do. There are those of us who go ahead. I'm sorry, Mel. It's an existential crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like you you view the world a certain way and then you're confronted with information that shows you that that view is wrong or is flawed or it, you know, it's inaccurate in so many different ways. And then you have to you have a choice. Like, are you going to seek truth or are you going to sit in your family? And there are people who are stuck there. They get paralyzed like, but I like my fantasy better. The fantasy is easier to deal with. The real world is hard. You know, um, there are those of us who've gone through the process, you know, and, and it is shocking. And then you, you realize like, but if we keep doing this, 
then we'll be okay because changing your mind is not the worst thing in the world. Uh, destroying the world is the worst thing in the world. And you would think that changing your mind was the way that people behave when you ask them to. And I think that there are other things that make that a challenge, like addiction and different stuff. And what I'm trying to think about that from this alien's perspective, when you were talking about being turned into a soldier, and now that's like a part of who you are, it's not exactly addiction, but I'm sure there's some kind of dopamine or adrenaline or something that courses through these people when they perform these functions that is hard for them to let go like the the soldiers who just constantly re-enroll or enlist or I don't know the military terms for when they just take like another assignment after another and never go home to their families. Yeah, like some people are not able to be reintegrated successfully. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons why that's a problem. As much as they want soldiers, they don't know how to turn soldiers back into civilians. And they don't have the mental health services and programs in place to help with that. And it's it's, it's desperately needed. They just don't want to. The same way they figured out how to turn that stuff on, they can turn it off. They just don't care to because they have gotten what they wanted out of the little puppet and now it's disposable like everything else. I support soldiers. I don't support the military. This is Sunday. I'm done speaking. I agree. Yeah, I feel like it's well, I kind of feel like I understand that it's a trauma response because when you're any type of response that you have to survival becomes a, a part of you whether or not it's like a, a war or a, uh, an unfit home growing up, that that becomes a part of you. So other people can't really understand why it is you do certain things is because it's a survival mechanism. He's probably running into danger because he, if he was in war for so long, the, the way to survive was to run and handle the danger. For other people, it may be to run away from the danger. Yeah. For someone coming up in a tragic, in a traumatic home, it may be to comply with ideas that you don't like, like because you would be hurt or punished if you didn't. Um, there's a in a fear that's just hidden inside that you have this one reaction to, and it takes a lot of of work and to get rid of that. That they, they apparently during that time they're still not helping people with because it's not as important as making sure I'm getting my yeah I think what you guys said about especially the, the story about the son I remember that from Barney oh <laughs> and that, that explains the the metaphor for the for him transforming like that so, um I've had quite a few existential crises in the last few years and um like one of the biggest ones it just rewrote everything I knew about my whole life. And so like when you go into an ideal, even if you're, no matter how ingrained you are, when you have that existential crisis that rewrites it, there's no, there's no changing it. And there's, it's not a gradual thing. It just kind of hits you. And all of a sudden, everything you know about yourself is something different now. Yeah. And you have to readjust, like you have to do a lot of internal work to adapt to the new circumstances. And, you know, think, imagine your whole 
life existence is completely different from what you thought it was because of this new information. And so you have to deal with that. And there are a lot of people who are completely unwilling to do that. Like for me, it was finding out that I was autistic. It was like every interaction I've ever had, anytime I've gotten in, in trouble going to Girl Scouts or whatever, all those things I now see completely different. And things things get put in context. And you like have to, you are confronted with that and you have to uh, adapt, right? I'm sorry, what was that? I said, uh-huh. Crazy. It's crazy that the, sorry, that the expectation is that she has to adapt. On my way home from camp today, we went to a gas station and used the restroom and I washed my hands. And the paper towel dispenser had like this labeling on it to show you how to use the dispenser. And with one hand pulling the paper towel was not recommended that you must use two hands. And I'm like, well, what if I don't have two hands? hands? Whoever put this together was not thinking about the complexities and the number of people that would be able to actually use the thing that they were making. And so for society to know, like whenever we discover autism, that they are now focusing on those individuals who need to conform instead of like addressing everybody like, hey, not everybody is the same. We found these unique people. We need to pay attention and adjust. So that we can accommodate, you know, our sisters and brothers. But I mean, that's just too much like, right? I mean, that would make sense. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, society, the society we live in, it changes when it's forced to, not because we are doing it to take care of each other. Right? And the autism, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you got it. Autism, well, the name autism was, uh, was like defined during. Oops, knocking on my window. It was defined by, that's not mine. Someone ordered food and they tried to deliver it to my apartment again. Oh, geez. <laughs> it was defined um, like during World War II as a way to further segregate people. Like, oh, yeah. The brain isn't working the way we want it to work. And especially us stubborn autistic people don't want to comply to things that don't make sense. And that ideology wasn't logical and these kids didn't comply to it so obviously we got to put a label on this because we find it to be a problem it goes against what we are doing instead of like just realizing (laughs) yeah now we will have the opportunity i believe to touch on these topics a lot more uh, throughout the series because you know these these themes come up frequently and i think like again, sci- this is what sci-fi does. It allows you to have these deeper conversations by by asking the questions in these stories and these episodes. And granted, while this wasn't like, and and I'm only saying this because I know what the rest of the series is like. This isn't the best episode, <laughs> but it does it does a good job. Now, is it wraps up with Sinclair explaining to the to the journalist about you know the the whole the danger of these ideologies and how it could destroy humans right if humans were obsessed with being being pure and turning in and only taking care of ourselves and not investing in like Babylon 5 and you know exploring more 
then when the sun does explode, it'll destroy the earth and it'll destroy everything that humans have accomplished. And he lists a lot of like artists, philosophers, scientists, entertainers, you know, all of the, a lot of good things that humans have been able to accomplish. And I thought that was interesting in that that's such a like liberal take on like the, the good parts of humanity, you know, of course, he's going to he's going to say like, oh, you know, our art, our cultures, our museums, you know, all of that. There's a lot more about humanity that is being lost due to repressive ideologies. And it's the human spirit. Um, mm. I was thinking about this, too. you know, how there's there's the writer strike. There's the actor strike. There's a lot of strikes. There's a lot of people in labor who are in they're they're fighting, you know, they are they're they're fighting to bargain for better wages. And I was like, man, we are we're we're in this place, they call it the the, the land of the free, home of the brave. But we are literally begging for the last thing that each individual human being actually is able to own, which is your your labor. And even that's being taken away. And it's like, how can we be, how can we be whole humans and experience the full human uh, existence and experience if you don't have any money? Like, oh man, that is <laughs> making me think about the peacemaker. What is the name of the the Hawatha? The indigenous people, right? That came up with whatever the constitution was that they had. Yeah, the the, the great law of peace and freedom. Right, and that our idea of freedom, it is. It's really jacked it up. Is, <laughs> it's better words, babe, because I I cannot right now. So. No, no, but that that makes that's a that makes a lot of sense. Like our idea of freedom is like the individual has freedom to do whatever, but. And, and the government or society or your collective groups have no right to encroach on the individual, even if the indiv- in their pursuit of happiness is destroying other people, destroying resources and destroying the earth. Like that's not real freedom. We're, we are just giving ourselves to the tyranny of one. And, and that's really, that's not freedom. It doesn't free it doesn't free humans and it doesn't it doesn't free us to pursue our whole selves to exist in a sustainable way with the earth and then ultimately it ostracizes the individual they're not able to free they're not free to be their whole human selves because humans are social creatures and they will be ostracized and exiled so that's not real freedom at all but again discussion for discussion for later episodes there, there are some like there's some really good episodes to come. So, uh, before we get out of here, are there any final thoughts on this episode? I'll say that I thought they did a really good job with addressing like the human experience. Like, like I said again, all the non-alien, all the non-human alien characters were were gone. They weren't in anybody's business and asking any questions, up to any shenanigans. It was a very straightforward episode that allowed us to express some of the worst parts of our humanity. We got to get some good discussion out of it. And we got to see some foreshadow. So when Franklin and Ivanova were discussing like, what if humans took that route of only taking care of 
earth and doing the same thing. They said, you know, they're, they, they, they did said like, you know, we, sh- we can't go that route cause it'll hurt us. And as soon as they're like agreed on that, here comes some soldiers saying they're confiscating the artifact and they're going to take it to earth to research for security purposes. And I was like, that's wild. And I was like, it's 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 such a good way for them to 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 make you know to make that point come to make that point happen because us as an audience, of course, most of us, well, we're supposed to agree with Franklin and Ivanova, and then we're watching the powers that be go ahead and take steps to make the exact same mistakes that wiped out a other, another civilization. Oh, sorry, I thought I was muted. So yeah, that happens a lot in television and it's one of my favorite things to kind of talk about and maybe one day we'll have that conversation where you ask like who's the villain and be able to point out things that they set the character favorites or the hero in your tv show you know for you to like them but if you really start to analyze their behaviors and actions it's like this is really not okay morally and ethically and all those things but we just get so wrapped up in this is my favorite character they're strong or they're fast or they look like me or whatever reason you have these connections to them and then you go overlooking you know the behaviors that if we really sit down and think about it like what would the outcome of that be if we really took this course of action Mm. and that's kind of scary if we think about it in real time a charismatic leader or someone who has helped you at one time and then they get in a position of power and they're making decisions and because of the relationship you have with them you rolling with them instead of like taking a critical look at all of the decisions and the choices that are made and and even our society given individuals and the citizens traditions of what is it called when you actually get to have a voice that is going to carry any kind of weight the democracy that farce of a thing that we cosplay like we're doing all the time so yeah we (laughs) even if our voice did hold weight we don't analyze and scrutinize the things that we are being asked to vote on it's like is this person pretty are they funny you know, do I have a relationship with them? Can I identify with them in some way? And we use all of the wrong reasons for making decisions. And maybe that's why, who was it in the Bible? Solomon becoming the king. That was such a bad idea. Because like, <laughs> the people were tripping on like, why they wanted to pick him. All right. So that was this episode, Babylon 5, uh, season one, episode four infection you can join us every week on voices in hyperspace and we're gonna get out of here so i'm legendary black lion you can find me at legendary black lion on all social media and apparently we can call it x now which is so stupid uh you know i'm experimenting with threads as well i'm mel asylum you can find me at mel's rebellion on the social media that i'm on thread x facebook tiktok I think that's it. Yay, Mel. This is Sunday, and you can't find me because I be in witness protection. Oh, <laughs> I'm just. And Nita, she is. Uh, 
she's offline, but she's um, she likes to paint. You can find Nita Painter on Instagram. And yeah, hire Nita. Get some face painting experiences. Well, we're going to get out of here. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next time.